my pleasure to welcome once again Father Henry Bordeaux, who is with us as he visits his family and recuperates, and he's about to head back to his uh, monastery, his convent there in Little Rock, Arkansas. But Father, it's been great to have you with us, and Father celebrates his 60th anniversary as a Carmelite priest this coming May, so it's such an honor to have him with us today. And just to let you know, I'm a lot more comfortable with him here than I was with Dick Vitale when I was at Our Lady of Grace. So it's so good to have Father here. I got to tell you, you know, as we look at the Gospels, just a recommendation, you know, as we go from week to week to look at the citation for the Gospel that we have for the Sunday, and then to look ahead at the next Sunday, because sometimes we kind of skip over some things. It's kind of like the lectionary, which is wonderful, that we get every Sunday, can kind of be like a greatest hits album, you know, where it's like you get, you know, you get these greatest hits, but you can miss some real gems and some things that tie everything together. I remember growing up, my parents got me both the red and the blue albums of the Beatles. And later on, I found out, oh my goodness, like Abbey Road, there's some pretty impressive stuff on here that didn't make the greatest hits, including their greatest line ever, I think, at the conclusion of that album. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make but I'm not going to preach about the Beatles today. So what I want to talk about, though, is last week, you know, we ended the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark with that healing of the man who was deaf and had the speech impediment. And it was a very intense healing with Jesus touching the man, putting his fingers in his ears, spitting, touching his tongue, all of these things, and the man being able to speak. Well, that was the end of chapter 7, and today, if you look, we pick up today at the 27th verse of the 8th chapter. So there's a few things that happen in between that healing and where we pick up today in Caesarea Philippi. There's another feeding of a large crowd, 4,000 people. Uh, This time, uh, there are seven wicker baskets left over. Then the Pharisees come up and demand a sign. And of course, Jesus has been giving all sorts of signs, curing the deaf man with the speech impediment last week, for example, feeding 4,000, and yet they demand a sign. And Jesus breathes deeply with a sigh and walks away from them. And then the disciples are falling all over themselves. And then we get a unique healing in all of the Gospels, one that's unlike any other in any of the four Gospels, and that picks up at Mark 8, 22. And I want to read it for you today because it's a thing that happens immediately before we go into the scene today from Caesarea Philippi that the deacon just read for us. It says this. This is Mark 8, 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands upon him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and saw everything clearly. And he sent him away to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And then we pick up where we did this morning with what the deacon just read about Jesus and the disciples setting out for Caesarea Philippi. Now, the reason I bring that up is because, like I said, it's a unique miracle insofar 
as it's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus' healing doesn't take an immediate effect, right? Normally, like last week, putting his fingers in the man's ears, you know, touching his tongue, he can hear, he can speak. The deacon pointed out to me last night, he said, ah, but what about when Jesus sent the man to the pool of Siloam? True, there was a step to it, but once he fulfilled the step, it was done. Notice today, he spits on his eyes, he touches him. Can he see? And he asks him, can you see? Well, I can see, looks like men walking around like trees, right? So he can't see fully, and Jesus goes in for a second laying on of hands, and then the man can see. So it's like it's coming in process. He can kind of see, and then he can fully see. Notice that, and then we move into this encounter today. Jesus asking, who do people say that I am? They give him all the responses, but who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter, our first pope, speaking on behalf of all the apostles, speaking on behalf of us, you are the Christ. And notice too, I mean, this is the gospel of Mark. It's very much from the perspective of Peter. Mark is supposed to be like the student of Peter. He's giving us Peter's remembrances of all of this. And notice this is when Jesus doesn't go into all sorts of praise for Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ. Jesus tells him not to tell anyone. Then Jesus goes on to tell them clearly that the Son of Man must suffer greatly, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. He spoke this openly. He's not keeping any secrets. He's telling them what's coming. He's going to suffer. He's going to face evil head on. Of course, Peter does what is really, really bold, pulling his master aside, rebuking him and saying, God forbid, Lord. You know, and then, of course, Jesus has to rebuke him. When you think about that, to pull the master aside and tell him that he's wrong. If you're in class and a you know, little guy comes up to the teacher and says, no, 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 two plus two does not equal four. Like, it doesn't work that way. The student doesn't get to do that to the teacher. And yet, look at Peter who's just declared you are the Christ and then pulls him aside and rebukes him. And Jesus (laughs) says to him those famous words, get behind me, Satan, right? You are not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. It's incredible the way that Mark puts that healing of the blind man who doesn't quite see fully at first and then it takes some additional steps, right? Here's Peter, kind of sees but he doesn't fully see. It's going to take more. And the same is so true, I think, for us, right? It's not easy to follow our Lord. As you look at what then follows with him summoning the crowd with his disciples and saying, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's hard. And I'll tell you all week long as I've been preparing to preach this weekend, I've been wrestling with this because... We hear that line, okay? Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. There's a lot of evil out there in the world. And it is difficult to follow Christ. It's difficult to pick up our cross. And I feel like that blind man. I feel like Peter. It's like, yeah, I get it. You're the Christ. But I still need to see better. I still need to keep going. I still need to keep understanding more. And I'll tell you, it's not easy as a pastor and a preacher 
to get up here and say, bear your cross, right? I mean, think about this. When we have funerals and the family's sitting right up here, I don't get up here and go, bear your cross, take it. You know, no, I mean, it's hard. We know that there's a lot of evil out there in the world. It's undeniable. And especially this weekend, right? I mean, yesterday, it was a hard anniversary, the 20th anniversary of the events of September 11, 2001. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it surprised me. On Friday night, I listened to a podcast just kind of recounting the things that happened. And there was, you know, video, uh, audio of the, the news feeds and from different uh, voicemails and things like this. I was emotional. Like, I didn't expect that. I guess I thought, it's like, well, it's 20 years ago. I can look at this objectively. I couldn't. I mean, I know all of us who, you know, are well over 20 years old. It's like you remember where you were that day. You remember what was going on. You remember when everything changed. I was in college. I remember I was leaving a class. I was walking down campus, and another one of my fraternity brothers was coming the other way, freaking out and saying, they're firebombing the Pentagon. And this guy was super dramatic. So I was like, okay, Paul, whatever. You know, I remember I went to my room and turned on the TV, and like everybody else, I didn't step away from it, right? I mean, it was just, everything was so hard. And still, 20 years later, it's not like, well, we've got this figured out now. We don't. Evil is still present. It's still difficult. It still stares us in the face. And even on a personal level, yesterday was the third anniversary of my grandpa's passing. And yes, you know, you hear like time heals all wounds. Well, I don't know that it heals them makes them easier to deal with, but it's still hard. I love my grandpa. He's one, he was John Eckerd as well. When I told him I was going to be a priest, he's like, ugh, your grandpa's going to be rolling around his grave. It's the last of the John Eckerds. I'm like, really? I mean, come on, there are worse reasons to end the line. He eventually got over it. It was fine. But, you know, it's like, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's hard to say goodbye, right? It's still a difficult thing. I still miss him. And we know that there is evil out there. We know that sin and death exist. And we don't have to pretend that they don't exist. And I feel like the blind man. I feel like Peter where it takes time to understand it better and better. And that's where the advice from our Lord comes in so fully. Two different times. Get behind me, Satan. And whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Notice it's three times. Get behind me, come after me, follow me. What's he saying? I'm going first. Get in line. Come with me. Because the fact of the matter is, he doesn't give us some simple, oh, everything works out in the end. No! We don't get simple answers to the question of evil. It's terrible. It's hard. And I want to share with you this morning one of my new favorite paragraphs from the Catechism, and it's on the problem of evil, the difficulty of evil, because you can't just sort of explain it away, right? Paragraph 309, highly recommend you pick it up later and just kind of meditate on it. It's a little bit longer, but bear with me, it's totally worth it. But this is what paragraph 309 of the Catechism says. If God the Father Almighty, the creator of the ordered and good world, cares for all his creatures, why does evil exist? To this question, as pressing as it is unavoidable and as painful as it is mysterious, no quick answer will suffice. Only Christian faith as a whole constitutes the answer to this question. The goodness of creation, the drama of sin, and the patient love of God who comes to meet man 
by his covenants, the redemptive incarnation of his son, his gift of the spirit, his gathering of the church, the power of the sacraments, and his call to a blessed life to which free creatures are invited to consent in advance, but from which, by a terrible mystery, they can also turn away in advance. There is not a single aspect of the Christian message that is not in part an answer to the question of evil. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is one of those gospels, we've heard it so many times, right? You hear, take up your cross, like, yeah, of course. Not, yeah, of course, it's difficult. We know that there is evil, and there are no easy answers, as the Catechism tells us. But what is God's answer ultimately? Emmanuel, God with us. That he enters into all of this with us and says to us, get behind me, come after me, follow me. That he has gone first, that he will suffer greatly, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. That he enters into all of this with us. And so even as we face you know, evil on a global scale with yesterday's anniversary, on a personal scale, as we see it all around us and we know and we scratch our heads and it's difficult and it's so hard to deal with, and yet, what must we do? Trust in the fact that our Lord has entered into all of this with us, that he calls you and calls me to follow him. Not to go, well, you know, other people suffer worse than me. No, don't worry about that. Every one of us here has suffering in one way or another. It is unavoidable. And yet, we're not left to our own devices. He comes to us and asks us that question that he asked the disciples. Who do you say that I am? He's not just a good guy. He's not just a teacher. He is the savior of mankind, God incarnate. And if we're willing to say that with Peter, you are the Christ, even if we have to continue to grow in our understanding, grow to see that better, go through it with him, therein lies our answer. He doesn't abandon us to evil. Rather, he comes to us and shows us the way through. I wish I could tell you, here's a cheat code. Here's a way to get around this. Here's the way to avoid your cross. It just doesn't exist. But the beautiful news for us is God does not abandon us to that evil, does not leave us to our own devices, but rather comes to us and says to us, follow after me. It's like my grandpa jumping into the pool ahead of me, reaching out his hands and saying, jump in, you can trust me. And therein is what we have to follow as well. Because as he says to us, who do you say that I am? If you trust in him, if you know he has gone through all of this for you, remains with us and calls you after him, then we have nothing to fear. My brothers and sisters in Christ, evil is real. There are no simple answers. But at the end of the day, the thing that we must do is follow him. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.